Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. In this show, we look at an incredibly frustrating week for the Astros. We also have some all-star break thoughts on the Rockets, plus one of our local teams with a magic moment this weekend. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, can somebody please tell Bobby Brady to throw away the ancient tiki necklace because he's jinxing our entire city? Can we go through one through stupid week? One stupid week without some horrible Houston sports news. I was just thinking the same thing, Robert, when you said the word frustrating. I thought, wait, frustrating in Houston sports? How does that happen? Yeah, every week it's it's something new and something frustrating, I'm afraid. Yeah, Framber Valdez goes down and just uh, it looks like it could be for the season. I mean, it, it could change by the time a lot of people hear this, but obviously the Astros, by the move that they made this week, and we're going to discuss that in a little bit, believe it's for the rest of the season. If they lose Framber to injury, just think about this for a second. If they lose Framber in the last eight months, they'll have lost Verlander for two seasons, Jordan for a season, Osuna for a season, and of course, Framber. In other words, they'll have lost a Cy Young winner, an ace starter, a closer, and a rookie of the year with MVP potential. Just in eight months. Yeah, just in eight months. And then, of course, we find out that Forrest Whitley is going to be shut down again. I mean, that that basically has been going on for the last couple of years. But, yeah, just to add that to the mix, your top prospect, or supposedly your top pitching prospect, is going to be out again for the foreseeable future. So, you know, when you add all those up, I mean, it's amazing that the Astros have, have been doing what they did I mean, with the playoff run and all that sort of thing. You know, they they just keep coming up, keep fighting, and that, and that's really all you can do, Robert. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing about Framber Valdez, you know, aside from the obvious that he's going to be out for a little while, regardless of how long, is that last season he finally put it all together and we think, man, the guy has finally arrived. He's doing something. He's... He's actually living up to all the hype and that that word potential that I always hate because potential is just like anything else. It's not it, it doesn't mean anything until it's realized. But then it's it, it's a freak injury. It's a comeback or hits him right on the ring finger, and there you go. He's going to be out at, at least for some period of time. You know who else had breakthrough seasons? Jordan Alvarez a couple of years ago. Remember what happened after that breakthrough season? And then Deshaun Watson. I mean, Deshaun Watson really last year was his breakthrough. I mean, any year that you would have said, oh, we lose Deshaun Watson. But especially after this last season where you figured, man, he looks like the guy that we hoped we had had all along. But I mean, did, did, you, did you want to talk about look like they found somebody potentially to replace? You're not going to replace Fromber, but they at least found somebody in the rotation to replace him. Yeah, you're not going to replace Fromber, but but I think the Astros actually did make a good signing that will certainly bolster the rotation on the front end, and that would be, of course, pitcher Jake Odorizzi. Uh, you may remember him from the Twins. They signed him to a two-year deal. Now, he only started four games in the abbreviated 2020 season, but he was the ace of the Twins rotation, and he made the all-star team in 2019. And when the Twins had, uh, you know, they went to the playoffs until they ran into their dreaded nemesis the Yankees you know which whom they always lose to but last season was kind of a weird deal for everybody including Odorizzi he had several injuries Robert but the good news is none of them were arm related he had a blister on one of his fingers he had a chest contusion after he got hit by a comebacker line drive 
and then he had an intercostal strain. So you 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 know if you're the Astros, you're hoping that he can bounce back from those injuries, which weren't arm related, and give them you know not only some much needed uh, you know strength at the top of the rotation, but some innings because he threw at least 143 innings from 2014 through the 2019 season. And that's a big concern for the Astros in regard to, you know, most of the pitchers in their rotation, either they haven't been healthy like Lance McCullers or they're young guys who just haven't had exposure to a full length major league season. So Jake Odorizzi coming in is really a big deal, especially right now for the Astros just because all the things they've been going through. His lifetime ERA is 3.92. His best pitches, he's, he's got a four-seamer and a splitter. He's got a five-pitch arsenal, but those are definitely his two best. Now, he does give up a lot of hits, and he is a fly ball pitcher, Robert. Uh, 8.1 hits per nine innings, but he only walked just 3.1 per nine innings, so at least he's not bad on the walks. So, yeah, all in all, as frustrating as the Astros' week has been, that is definitely the one bright spot we can look to for now. Yeah, you said he's never given you 200 innings, but he's durable, you know, almost 150 innings each year. The thing is, he's never given you 200 innings, but Lance McCullers doesn't give you any innings most years. He gets hurt at some point, somehow, some way. And then you got somebody like Urquidy, who we forget this. Do you know how many total starts he's had in his career? In the major leagues? Yes. Yep. yep. Probably, I, I would guess maybe a dozen. You got it exactly right. A dozen starts. And and then you have somebody like the kid. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. But uh, he had a few starts last year. But, you know, he, he's not prepared to go a full season. You're talking about Christian Javier? Yeah, Javier. Um, sorry about that. I just had a senior moment there. But, yeah, it, it, that to me is uh, uh, the problem with this staff going into the season is you were already worried about this. And then Fromber, who was a workhorse for you last year, I get it, it was only 60 games, but if you throw in the postseason and, and all the innings that he racked up and the, and the pitching that he did there over three series, uh, it, it starts to get closer to a regular season type uh, you know, work or whatever. So that's what's so frustrating, Stephen, is, I mean, if there was one area in this entire team where you're like, man, they don't have any depth at all, this was it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said, you know, even though Odorizzi may not have thrown 200 innings, he certainly got more than most of these guys do. I mean, if he if he could give you 150, 160, 170, that would probably be a bonus just from the looks of the Astros pitching staff and the fact that they can't or, or haven't gone long as far as total innings. That is going to be a big deal. The fact that they signed Odorizzi for two years also does another thing. It gives you insurance for next year when Granke and McCullers contracts are potentially gone and free agents. I mean, we hope that McCullers is going to get signed and come back, but I would say if it doesn't happen here in the next, you know, what, three or four weeks, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And don't forget Verlander. He's, his contract is going to be up too. And, and the other piece of good news is that Odorizzi does have a player option year after that. So, you know, you could potentially have him for three seasons. So that is another feather in the cap as far as signing him goes. All right, Forrest Whitley. All right, we got to get to him. So he's got a sprained ulnar collateral ligament. This is likely Tommy John surgery, they're saying, 12 to 14 months. I mean, they're getting it second and third guess. We went through that with Justin Verlander last year. Didn't go that well. And listen to this, Stephen. He's only thrown since he 
came into the organization in affiliated baseball with the Houston Astros as a first-round pick, a first-round pick, high first-round pick. He's throwing 17th overall. Yeah, 86 innings. 86 innings. Combined ERA, 471. Yeah, it's frustrating, and especially when you consider he's had several injuries. He had a forearm strain uh, before this this latest thing with the elbow, which is sometimes a precursor to Tommy John or to, to other injuries, I should say. You know, and then you throw in the drug suspension, and then you throw in when he comes back from one of his injuries, he was just totally ineffective. They had to send him all the way down to the instructional league, basically, and the Arizona Fall League to get basically reset him. So it has just been one thing after another with Forrest Whitley. And and you just kind of wonder how much of, you know, his mental state played into all that. Was he really, you know, working out seriously? Last year, he put on weight, you know, thinking he would be more durable and was really not that effective. This year, he came into camp thinner, but now the injury has slowed him down. So it just seems like no matter where you turn, there's something frustrating going on with Forrest Whitley. And, you know, former general manager Jeff Luno had considered him untouchable during the whole time when the Astros were making trades. The two guys who were untouchable, according to Luno, were Kyle Tucker and Forrest Whitley. Well, Kyle Tucker, you know, he certainly has has come into his own. At least last year he did. Forrest Whitley has not. And this is just another in a series of setbacks for him. Can you name the three very high draft choices that Jeff Luno made as starting pitchers? Uh, in the last, what has it been, seven years, I think? Seven years. And and, and and tell me what they're doing this year. Tell me what they're doing this year. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking, let's see, uh, Mark Appel was one, right? Yeah. Is he in baseball anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think so. And then there was the guy, and now his name, now I'm having a senior moment. The, the guy who, you know, the, when the Astros found out he had some arm problems, they chose not to, they chose yeah. not to move forward with him. His name escapes me, but Brady he, as far as yeah. I know, he's not in baseball. Yeah, Brady Aiken is the guy. and Brady Aiken, that's the guy. Yeah. Yeah, his career was pretty much over with at that point, I think. Before and, it even started. And, and now there's Forrest Whitley. And it, it's, it, I don't think Jeff necessarily, oh, this was terrible because Aiken was somebody that, here's the deal with Aiken, if I remember correctly. It was, he was trying to get him a little bit as a value and then he picked up somebody in the fourth or fifth round. He drafted them, and he was trying to combine them so he could get some value between the two players. But, you know, I don't think Aiken was considered that much of a reach, Stephen. And obviously, Appel was considered one of the best pitchers coming out in the last decade, right? Yeah, Appel was definitely on their radar to be a great pitcher. So his was more disappointing. I, I think with the whole Brady situation, there was just there were a lot of bitter feelings. It was just the way the whole thing went down. I think that's why it got so much publicity. But yeah, Mark Appel was the guy that they were really eyeing, kind of like a Forrest Whitley. And and then all that happened to him. So yeah, it, it's just, you know, it, it just goes to show that even in baseball, it just, with especially with pitching, I know we say this over and over and over, Robert, but it's true. You can never have too many pitchers because it is just going to happen that some of these guys even if they're highly touted, they're not going to pan out for one reason or another, either because they just go, they, they go to the minors and they don't quite make it, or they just suffer one injury or one setback after another. But name a franchise that has lost in the last year, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Framber Valdez. Yeah, I can't think of anybody, not, not of that caliber. Uh, I mean, 
<laughs> there may be somebody out there, but I don't see it. And that's why, you know, the, the Astros signing of Odorizzi and then just, you know, having the depth that they've had. But then, of course, you throw in the eight pitchers who are currently on COVID-19 health and safety protocol. And that just adds, that just adds even more frustration to the mix. Well, that's a big deal. I mean, I don't think people understand what a big deal that is. But these guys that are out with COVID protocol, we're we're just weeks away from the season. This is pitching that you need to get ramped up. Like Luis Garcia was one of those guys that was out and, and, and yeah. I think is still out. And so that's somebody that you looked at as, well, you know, if something happens to one of the starters, he had flashes last year. Yeah, there's never a good time for this to happen, obviously, but but this is an especially poor time because it's spring training. You've you've got to get into your rhythm, you know, and and pitching is is so valuable as far as the depth is concerned. I mean, this is definitely a setback by the time they do come back, even if they don't get COVID. I mean, heaven forbid that any of these guys actually came down with COVID, but even if you don't get it, your whole timing is thrown off. You're talking what seven to ten days before you can even come back after you've already ramped up and got started. So yeah, it, it is a big deal, a bigger deal than I think most people realize. Why didn't the Astros bring guys in a week or two earlier than normal? Because you almost could see the train coming down the tracks. Yeah. I wondered that myself and, and it's just, well, it's so frustrating. I know it, it's frustrating for all of us about this COVID thing and, following the guidelines to the letter and things like that. But, you know, these players are human too, regardless of what may be at stake. There, there's just, you know, there's only so much that you can take, I guess. But it, it, it is a puzzling thing that, you know, when you think about, as we said, the timing of this whole thing and how important it is to get off to a good start and get into spring training and have your team ready to go. And then this happens. And you got a whole group of these guys. You know, Robert, it's, it's not just one or two, but it's affected eight of these players, pitchers. And that's that's what's so crazy about the whole thing. Especially the pitchers they could have brought in early. I mean, did you have you gotten on the phone with James Click and, and railed them on this one? Because I'm mad. <laughs> well, you know, I've tried to get in touch with James. He's not answering my calls. Maybe he knows that I'm mad. I mean, he, you know, maybe maybe he can, can anticipate people's moods because, yeah, he's, he's not returning my calls or texts either. All right, give me all the positives. Uh, we got... Uh, a bunch of guys in spring training that are just hitting the cover off the ball and are looking like future Hall of Famers that we weren't expecting. What, what's going on? Anything else? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, uh, first of all, just, you know, the, the fact that you've got some of these guys who we, we don't know much about and, or they just don't have a lot of experience. I mean, I do like the looks of Miles Straw, at least for right now. Uh, he's not stinking up the joint. Do, do I think he's the answer in center field? Yeah, I don't know. Jose Siri, you know, whom they signed to a minor league deal to and invited to spring training camp. He's looked pretty good. I, I, I mean, nothing really jumps out at me, I would say, as far as uh, the hitting goes. Um, Ryan Presley looked really good on Sunday, you know, but we expect good things out of him. So, I, I mean, I think it's just a, a wait and see kind of approach that I'm taking just with all that has gone on right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult already for the Astros, and it just seems like you just got to brace for bad news with every Houston team. Like, what's going to happen this week? Is the is a, is there going to meteor that's just going to fall, crash into Minute Maid Park, and just blow the whole thing? I mean, th that's the way it feels like every single week with Houston teams. It's one thing after another after another. I mean, 
I just, it, it's enough, enough already. I mean, we, you know, it's, and it, it, we talk about it. We talked about it before. It's not just the teams, you know, we, 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 we're like natural disaster central every year. <laughs> we get a natural disaster here yeah. in Houston, Texas. Yeah. And, and right now we've got natural disasters in Houston sports happening every week. So it's just like, you know, how many shots to the gut can you take with, you know, being kicked with, with shoes that have spikes on them. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like. And Robert, here we thought, you know, we, we were so happy and saying goodbye to 2020. Good riddance, 2020. Get out. You're gone. 2021 is going to be better. Well, hang on. I'm looking out the window. I don't see it yet. Robert, do you? And the one thing that you think, well, what else could happen? Like, what could, could, could a Rockets basketball, Rockets rotation basketball player dunk a basketball in a game and then be out six weeks for injury. Yeah, that happens. That happens to the Rockets. Of course it happens. Yeah, what well, doesn't happen to the Rockets right now? I mean, the, the All-Star break is is their best friend right now because they're not playing. Yeah, it's the old joke of, hey, the Rockets didn't lose today. Oh, because they didn't play. Um, of course, I, I made a joke about that on a radio station I worked for years ago here in Austin about the Cowboys and basically got reamed by a cowboy fan this was back in the days when the cowboys were really bad it was right after jerry jones took over uh no actually it was before jerry jones took over and they were kind of falling down and somebody threatened to never listen to my station again but yeah we, we could say that about the rockets that the the plus side is they didn't play today because they, they haven't won i mean i don't even remember how many things i've done since the last time the rockets won a game have you robert it's 13 in a row and in case People are like, what are you talking about? This guy out for a, I'm talking about David Nwaba this past right. week. He gets lost for six weeks. Basically, I don't know what's at the rest of the season now. When you, I mean, you, the, the way the season, they play like every night and then twice on Sunday now. Yeah, they, it'll be most of the season. They, they play more than Broadway. So uh, he's going to miss pretty much the rest of the season. Um, outside of Deshaun Tate, he's my favorite player. 13 in a row going into the All-Star break. And Steven... I it just I just think, you know, oh my goodness! I the last thing that I thought was going to happen this year is I was going to have to start looking up what's the record for most losses in a row a team has had in the NBA. But that's where we are. Yeah, thirteen, unlucky thirteen. That's that's what it is. And well, if you're looking for some good news, Robert, I guess the one thing that we can look forward to, maybe possibly, at least right now, is the trade deadline because I'm pretty sure the Rockets are going to make some moves between now and March 25th. You know, and then you've got players that are going to be bought out. So I guess there's some hope that maybe the Rockets can can get some help. The problem is, it's you know, at this juncture of the season, you know, as compressed as it's going to be in the second half, the Rockets are going to have a number of back-to-backs. And, it, it you know, you miss a week, you've already missed several games. It, it's not going to matter much. I mean, I, I just think that the season is shot for the Rockets. You're just trying to play out the string. But that's about the only thing I have to look forward to is, hmm, wonder who they're going to get in the trade deadline or who are they going to buy, you know, get a buyout player from another team. That's that's what I'm looking to. Well, don't be so sure that they're definitely going to trade people because they're ta- there's talk about, oh, P.J. Tucker could get an extension. There's whispers about that. There's whispers about uh, Oladipo, not whispers. I mean, out and out, Oladipo came out and said they offered me an extension. Those were two guys that you just figured they're gone. I mean, that it, it, it's 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 over with with those two players. And and besides that, what are we talking about them dealing that's going to get you anything interesting? I mean, there's nobody else on the Rockets roster that you would both want to deal and 
uh, you wouldn't want off the Rockets. You know, obviously like a Christian Wood or a Jishon Tate, but nobody wants those guys to go. No, certainly not. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard those whispers or rumblings or whatever you want to call them, but I've also, you know, heard the, the trade rumors about P.J. Tucker over the last few weeks. So, I mean, it's anybody's guess, but I, I just can't believe the Rockets wouldn't make any kind of a move, if if nothing else, you know, to, to get a player who's been bought out by another team, at the very least, to get some help, because they just, I, I mean, they're just reeling right now. They've got to do something. All right, I've got some a little different angle on some of the players uh, that maybe we haven't talked enough about through the Rockets season, about where they are and what's going on. Since it, since it is the All-Star break, I just want to assess a couple of Rockets players. First of all, John Wall. And coming off his injury, I continue to be blown away by his explosiveness, his shooting, his durability. I mean, durable to the extent that, you know, they're letting him play. And from all we've heard, he hasn't been happy about not playing back-to-backs. He thinks he can do it, which we'll see if they're going to let him do it. They let him play a back-to-back last week and then let him play 40 minutes plus in a couple of games uh, this week. So I, I've got some numbers on him that are interesting, Stephen. Do you want to add anything before I pull those up? Thoughts on John Wall to the midway point? Well, I've certainly been encouraged by the way he has come back. I mean, most guys, I, I just don't think, would have the kind of movement that he's had. You know, we saw it when he was working out before the Rockets got him. So I am encouraged by that. I mean, yeah, he's been inconsistent with his shooting, but it 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 does come with, you know, some good sides for him. I just think, you know, my biggest concern is with this compressed schedule the Rockets are going to have, you know, can he hold up through the rest of the season if he's going to have to play more? And let me tell you, Robert, these guys, they want to play back-to-back. You know, a lot of this has to do with management and coaching of of bringing these guys along that way. So, trainers. you know, John Wall's a competitor and trainers. Since he isn't putting up the numbers or the minutes, I should say, that he normally does, I, I want to go to his per 36 stats so we can compare him to past years and where he's at. He's averaging 23.9 points, which is his highest total ever, actually. His blocks are up by right. 0.1 per game from his average. His steals are actually down 0.7 per game, which is a, a huge drop in that number. Um, I don't know what that has to do with if that's his explosiveness or just, you know, just coincidence. But let's go to the number that really surprised me the most, which is assists per 36 minutes. It's way, way down. His career average, 9.2 this year. It's only at 6.9. Stephen, let me ask you, do you think it's too simplified to blame it on the Rockets shooting? I mean, could it just be the fact that he throws them good passes and they're just not making the shots? Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's a lot to do with it. But you also don't have a guy that you can feed the ball. You you don't have a James Harden. You don't have a Christian Wood to, to feed the ball who's going to get in those positions to make those shots. That I mean, that would be the main thing I would point to is that you just – John Wall is having to do this pretty much by himself with no real help other than, you know, some occasional contributions from guys like Oladipo and Jay Sean Tate. Yeah, it's, to me, it, it is too simplified to blame it on the shooting because – Yes, in the last 13 games, we know what the situation is, but his assist numbers were not good before Christian Wood went down. His assist numbers were not good early in the season when they looked a little bit like a normal team instead of, you know, just a disaster that they've looked. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything. What I can't stand, Stephen, the thing that just drives me crazy is when he goes James Harden and he comes down the floor and nobody moves and he holds onto the ball. And, and I don't know who to blame on this. If this is just a John Wall, 
if this is Steven Silas. I, I, I wish I was in the meetings to know, but I, I hate that. I just don't like the dribble, 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 you know, throw up a pull-up jumper. Or if he can blow by a guy, it's great. You know, he gets a shot at the rim, fine. But there's way too many times where I see him pull up for, you know, 18, 16 feet, sometimes a three. Well, and, and I think it, it kind of harkens back to what I said earlier in, uh, in a previous podcast, Robert, about the fact that, I mean, I thought the Rockets' offense was going to be different. I thought it was going to have more ball movement and less standing around because that was the thing that was frustrating about D'Antoni's offense. I mean, when, when Eric Gordon is capable, he can certainly drive to the hoop. You know, I don't mind seeing that, but I don't see that with John Wall and, and any of these other guys. So, yeah, it, it has become more of the standing around, you know, waiting for something to happen kind of thing, which we weren't really seeing at the beginning of the season as much. Let's go to somebody else I'm going to talk about at the midway point, and it's uh, Oladipo, because you look at his first half numbers combined with the Rockets and the Pacers, pretty much all of his averages per 100 possessions are right about at his career stats. The big thing for him is shooting, which as we've seen has been awful. Uh, does it matter if he's taken, uh, you're talking about his field goal percentage, his three point percentage, his free throw percentage. They all stink. So we have to decide if this is about his leg injuries or just an extended slump. Well, I I'm thinking it's, it's more of a mental thing for him. And I, I just kind of wonder, you know, the fact that he turned down an extension, I mean, it tells me that he's looking ahead He's looking ahead to free agency. I think it's as much a mental thing as it would be the leg. I mean, maybe the leg has something to do with it, but man, he, he wasn't doing this previously, you know, before he came to the Rockets as quite as badly, as far as I know. I mean, I haven't taken a good hard look at the numbers at that point, but I just think a lot of it is mental. And especially as this losing streak continues, Robert, I think that's the case with just about everybody on the Rockets. I, I think it's just, it, it's become a mental thing where, they're just totally in a rut, and they're just – I hate to use the word demoralized, but I don't know what else to point to. I would like to look at Dr. Twitter and, and give you a prognosis, but Dr. Twitter doesn't know what they're talking about, so I'm going to – Yeah, Dr. Twitter is usually a negative prognosis anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> they, they think it's a yeah. medical situation. They Oh, he's not getting enough lift in his legs, or his legs are not strong enough. How does a guy – with leg issues have an issue of like not hitting the rim because he's two feet to the side of the, of the rim, like the mental thing, what you said, that makes way more sense. Yeah. It's a timing issue. It's a placement issue. I, I mean, if it was that, if it was that much of a leg injury, I'd be really concerned. I'd be pulling him out and having him examined. If you're going to be that far off the basket and not making those shots, then get him out of there and get his leg checked. But no, Robert, I agree. I don't think it's the case at all. Yeah, he's just missing him way too wildly, which, I mean, what does that have to do with your legs? That's your arms and where you're aiming the basketball. So uh, the, another thing that I wanted to talk about at the All-Star break, not, not any of the guys that we've seen, but the guy that we haven't seen that everybody's talking about. And we know, we know that after the All-Star break, the Rockets are calling up K.J. Martin and... Kevin Porter from the G League. Definitely interested to see the two of them, but real quick, I need to give a heads up for these Kevin Porter Jr. super fans out there. If you're on Twitter, you've seen them. Uh, you've seen these people t discussing this. Tons of James Harden comparisons. And before we do that, let's remember a couple of things. Number one, 
He doesn't get to the free throw line, not in college, not in the G League, where he's averaging only three attempts per game in big minutes. James Harden, by the way, he gets to the free throw line a lot. So forget about that part of his game. Number two, he's a below average to poor right now, just poor three-point shooter by NBA standards because, boy, the NBA standard has gone up and up and up from three, 32% in the G League, 33.5% 33.5% and 158 attempts last year for the Cavs. That's a lot of attempts. Now, you could definitely see the three-point shooting improve over time, Stephen, but not really the ability to draw. Can you think of a guy that just got good at drawing fouls all of a sudden? No, and I'm sorry to compare somebody to James Harden who, who's been in the G League. I mean, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. I, I guess maybe they're so desperate to look for somebody to, you know, reincarnate James Harden or, you know, take the place of James Harden on the Rockets that they're going to point to anybody they can that jumps out at them. But yeah, the James Harden comparisons, I sure don't see it. And that's, you know, that's one of the big factors of, you know, being a good NBA player, much less a great NBA player is being able to be in position to draw those fouls. And then when you get to the free throw line to make those free throws. And if that's one thing you can say about James Harden, that's certainly what he did and, and still does. Anybody you want to look at at the All-Star break or anything that you want to look at? I feel like we've beaten the Steven Silas stuff to death. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about either, you know, a, a Jay Sean Tate or Ben McLemore or Daniel House or some some of the guys maybe we haven't touched on as much this season. Well, Ben McLemore, yeah, I'm very disappointed. I, I just thought I would see more out of Ben McLemore and more good things. And it's, I, I've made no secret about my feelings of Daniel House. I just feel like, you know, every time he puts himself in a position to be very good or great, something happens. Either he gets injured or he just, his play starts going down the drain. I've just, I've never been a big Daniel House fan other than I just, you know, I want him to succeed, obviously, because I want the Rockets to succeed. But I've just been disappointed that did both of those guys, that they haven't shown me They've shown me so much less than what I was expecting. I mean, I'm not expecting, you know, greatness or superstar caliber, but consistency. That That's, I think, what's missing with both of those guys. In sports, how many times have we said this? You get a golden opportunity and it comes along not very often. And there couldn't be more golden opportunity than the Rockets right now. Without James Harden, with all the injuries, House and Ben McLemore, two guys that are shooters, that are ball handlers to a degree that have guard type ability just haven't given you anything, anything. I mean, house can't even stay on his feet. He just slips and falls a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the number of times he's fallen. I mean, it's not comical. I, I don't think, but it's, I mean, you, you almost have to help, but laugh at just that kind of thing. And, you know, Ben McLemore's minutes have diminished, but with good reason. I mean, he just hasn't been effective. So yeah, I don't know what to think of these guys and, you know, how can you really move them? Who's, who's going to want guys like that anyway, that, what they have had to show for lately? So, yeah, the, those are two very frustrating things and just only added to the woes of the Rockets of late. I want to hit on something that I thought a really good point made by former guest of the show, Ben DuBose. Uh, I, I heard him in the last few days say something that I thought was a really good idea and, and really worth exploring you know, the Rockets, we know this. They lose uh, that top four designation. If they cannot get that top four pick, they lose their draft pick to the – they end up – well, they don't lose it. They It ends up 
probably going to the the, the, the Miami Heat pick. So right. and we're and that's like, probably looking around twenty ish or something like that. But Ben said something I thought was real interesting. Stephen, what do you think about this? He said, should the Rockets talk to Oklahoma City about potentially trading a draft choice away to Oklahoma City so they definitely get to keep so that pick does not become unprotected. So it beca- so basically the Rockets would get the pick no matter what. And, you know, maybe potentially trading next year, like leaving safeguards off of next year's first round pick and you can lock down uh, this year's first round pick, which, you know, it's it's very likely. I mean, almost assuredly going to be in the top six at this point. So would you give up that pick next year to guarantee it? Because if you're Oklahoma City, there's something in this for you uh, because you got to think of well, I might end up with nothing because if that pick does not convey to Oklahoma City this year, if the Rockets are in the top four, they lose the pick altogether. It's not like they get next year's uh, pick or something like that. No, they lose it altogether. Well, you know, that's an intriguing thing. I had not seen that. Um, I, I mean, at this point, if, if that's what it takes to get a high draft pick, I'm all for it. Now, you know, obviously, once you get it, you better do something good with it. So, you know, that's the other end of that, but you got to get there first. And if it's looking like that's the case, Robert, I mean, I certainly, if I were the Rockets, would explore that that option. Here's something else to consider. When you look at the odds um, and, and the Rockets, you want to be in that top five. Okay, so, uh, and, and of course they keep it if it's top four, but you want to be in the top five because this is from all the experts, it's a top five draft. Like after that, it's there's a drop off there. So to be in that top five, uh, that's where you want to be. And if if you're the Rockets, uh, to be in that top five, it's like a 67% chance that you're in the top five. 52% chance, though, if you're in the top four and and you keep the pick all together, but 67%. So if you make the deal with Oklahoma City, you got really, really good odds that you're going to be in that top five. Really good odds. Yeah, I'll take that chance. I'll, I'll gladly take that chance. And and the thing is, and this is something else, Stephen. Um, do, do you think you would have to give an unprotected first round pick next year, or could you tell Oklahoma City, "Hey, we'll give you that Milwaukee Bucks first round pick that we got," although that's going to be kind of crappy. You would have you would assume. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if 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 I were Oklahoma City, I'm not sure I would bite on that. Or the Detroit pick, you know, which, uh, and I mean not the Detroit, uh, the Wizards pick. Wizards pick, yeah, that would be more attractive. Which is yeah. like a couple of years down the road, and then it, and if they, you know, it, it all depends on what the Wizards do. It never gets to be a top five pick, top six pick, I think. But it, it you get the odds raised with every year that, you know, I, I would say there's a good chance that that pick is at least going to be a high lot, like a, not a high lottery pick, a low lottery pick. You know, I that's that that would be what it would be worth to them. That, that would be the more likely scenario. But again, I mean, if you're Oklahoma City, I, I don't know if you would do a deal like that. But boy, if you're the Rockets, you should at least ask. So how about something really cool that happened this weekend? Do you want to talk about that? I do, especially if, if it's going to put a smile on our face, Robert. Let's go. Let's go. In case anybody missed what happened Sunday between U of H and Memphis, take a listen to this little clip courtesy of CBS Sports. We're going to pick it up. There were one and a half seconds left. And the score was tied. Sasser to midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. It's good! It's good! 
Wow. That was off the glass if you missed it. If you missed the game on Sunday, 35 feet away, two guys guarding Tremont Mark. Fantastic game. And I'm just going to use this pun. Mark it down as one of our (laughs) early nominees for 2021 Games of the Year, Stephen. Oh, man. Let me tell you, I like the looks of Tremont Mark the first time I saw him play this year, Robert. He is a good-looking player. And I, I almost, you know, I, I kind of thought, wait, you sure that wasn't Jeremy Branema? I know you had him on the podcast recently because Jeremy can get pretty excited about that. I, I did not hear the radio broadcast, unfortunately. But, you know, in typical Kelvin Sampson fashion, during the timeout before that possession, you know, he, they, they mapped out the play and, and Traymond Mark knew, of course, he was going to get the ball. And that was a shot they had worked on in practice quite a bit, and it hadn't been working up to that point. So Kelvin Sampson turns to Tremont Mark before they go back out on the court and said, just don't make a vomit shot. <laughs> you know, typical Kelvin Sampson. I mean, that's just the kind of guy he is. Well, the, I, I think the only team that vomited after that shot was Memphis when it went in. Because, yeah, that is one that I, you talk about a frustrating week in Houston sports. Man, that that definitely saved the day right there yeah and if you want to hear the jeremy branham call go to houston sports talks facebook page because it's there i put it up there branham posted it on his own facebook and i shared it with our community so you can find it there he has a great call too i mean it's a i mean good call by cbs now what you didn't hear is after they the guy makes the call now he's got to pause he's got to wait for the refs and then he said the the Cougars stole the game is what he said. And I'm like, what do you mean they stole the game? They were ahead most of the game, right, Steven? They were ahead. Well, yeah, they were. It was nip and tuck most of the way. I mean, no team really, you know, took a, a commanding lead. It was back and forth and back and forth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he meant it in a derogatory way. But surely if you're Memphis, they, they definitely – Memphis thought they had it. And the Cougars just, you know, it's like reaching over a guy and just – like picking their pocket. Well, I basically. don't think he meant it. I don't think they meant it in the derogatory way, but I just thought it was like, did you watch the, I mean, the Cougars were up with less than two seconds to go. Right before that, they had hit a three point buzzer, right. uh, not a buzzer beater, but a three point shot to tie the game with less than two seconds. to. The Memphis had done that. And, and that was where we were. Yeah. There were 1.7 seconds left. I think when that possession started. So there was definitely enough time for them to get the ball, you know, catch it and shoot it. And, I can't remember who was – I don't remember if it was Giroux or who was underneath, the, you know, angling for the rebound in case Mark missed. But, yeah, there was definitely enough time to get the shot off. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but no matter how you slice it, that was a game that the Cougars certainly needed because now they're the number two seed in the AAC tournament. And uh, they play Tuesday, I believe, at 6 p.m. So here we go. It's tournament time. If you missed it. I talked to Jeremy Branham about the Cougars a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things I said to Jeremy Branham, coincidentally, was have the Cougars hurt themselves a little bit, or not hurt themselves, but are the Cougars a little weaker because all of their games are blowouts? They haven't played in a close game. They haven't you know, won a close game this season, and now they have. Now they have. Yeah, there's your wish, Robert. You got it, and thank goodness, you know, the, the Cougars have – had some things go the other way when they've been in those situations. I mean, you think about Jordan Poole, Michigan, you know, knocking them out of the tournament, and then Kentucky knocking them out at the last minute. And so this time it went their way. And it's, that's the one thing that you always hope is, yeah, you want to blow everybody out. 
But you've got to be battle tested when you get in that NCAA tournament. It, you know, it's not always going to be that way. So having a game like this and then it coming out on the positive end can only boost the confidence of this team heading into the tournament. So here we go. We're, we're almost to the NCAA tournament. And I should ask you, what do you think the Cougars are going to be seated in the tournament? I mean, what do you think they should be seated, and what do you think they will be seated? Well, I would say that they probably could get a number two seed. I don't know. I mean, those a couple of losses there toward the end, you know, certainly knocked them out of being the number one seed. They were they're the number two seed in their conference tournament, so uh, you know they might get a number three. I would like to see them get a number two, certainly. Right. I, I, it's sounding like they could be a two seed because that's uh, Joey Brackets, if you believe in him. Uh, and he's pretty good. You know, he said a three yeah. seed. So it looks like that 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 could be it. But um, I, I don't know if there's a big difference between two and three like there would be between, say, three and four or two and one. You know what I mean? Right, right. Absolutely. You know, the, the Cougars will take what they can get. And, you know, and once you get there... You've got to make the most of it. And they still go through these spells of cold shooting. I mean, I know most teams do, but that is the one thing that does scare me about this team. I just want to see more consistency with the shooting and not go four, five, six minutes because that's really going to hurt you in the tournament. Anything else on the Cougars? Because we got a couple of things I want to close with. Uh, not anything on the Texans this week. <laughs> We're, are we going to be Texans free radio this week, Robert? That that would be nice. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing new positive to talk about. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I mean, really with the Cougars, uh, just, as I said, it's, it's just exciting that that's one team that we can at least latch onto right now. Just don't break our hearts, Cougars, you know, get a good run, make us feel good. That's all I ask. Yes. When the Cougars were a deal, uh, a real deal nationally last, it was the early eighties. And that's where I want to take us to one of our closing things here in the show this week. And cause we lost Mark Pavlich and some of you out there might wonder who Pavlich is. Well, he was a member of the magical 1980 miracle on ice team. In fact, he assisted on Mike Ruzioni's game winning goal against the Soviets actually had two assists that game. And then Pavlich, you know, is just the second player from that gold medal team. Now that we've lost Bob Suter was the other uh, Steven, it's a sad story the way things ended for him because he was being treated at a mental health facility after a bizarre incident where he assaulted a neighbor with a metal rod. His sister believes this could be effects, the effects of CT. All those blows to the head on the ice might have done a lot of damage to him. She calls him the most gentle and kind person you'd ever know. So it was nothing like him what happened towards the end. And prior to his death, a judge said that he lacked the ability to rationally consult with counsel. The judge said he is incapable of understanding the proceedings as, in, as and is incapable of participating in the defense due to mental illness or deficiency. In other words, you know, he just wasn't there by the very end. Yeah. And it's, it's just so sad, Robert, that we keep hearing stories like this, you know, in the wake of the last few years with the, the NFL or football in general, I guess, with all the head injuries. And, you know, we're starting to hear about it more in hockey and as I understand it, his family has agreed to donate his brain for CTE research. And you just you just hope that they can not only make strides, but that leagues and teams will pay attention to them and just to, to minimize this kind of thing from happening. Because, it you know, when a person gets that many blows to the head, I mean, our brain is is a wondrous thing. It's it's amazing just how intricate and complex it is. 
but it's also a delicate thing. And if you abuse it too many times, like what happens in sports with, you know, so many violent blows to the head, and we're not just talking football, you know, it can happen in soccer and hockey and just so many sports. It, yeah, the Mark Pavlis story, unfortunately, just another, you know, long list of reasons why there is a, not only a mental health crisis in our in sports, but in our country in general. And going back to Pavlish himself, I mean, this is somebody that had this tragic life despite the miracle on ice. At age 18, he was involved in a hunting accident that killed his 15-year-old friend at that time. Ricky Holgers was hit by a ricocheting bullet. Pavlich had pulled the trigger um, on the gun. He raced about a mile through the woods to call an ambulance and ran back to help his brother carry Holgers out. Later on in his life, he lost his wife at age 44. Um, that was actually just nine years ago. She was 44 years old when she fell off a second-story balcony. I mean, this is a TV movie that just becomes this great tragedy to a triumph and then almost ends in tragedy again. You know, and, and Robert, unfortunately, we, we hear this so many times, and I think as sports fans, we forget so often that these athletes are people too. I mean, they're human just like you and I. They suffer tragedy. They suffer loss. They suffer heartbreak just like the rest of us. And, you know, how many times have we, we heard the, the great stories of the, you know, the miracle on ice and, you know, all these guys and their life stories and things like that. But we tend to forget that they're people too and they have bad things happen. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, after great success, you know, you you never know what you're made of until you have to withstand the, the test of failure or, you know, the test of hardship. And that's what happens with, with really everybody. Everybody goes through it, whether you're a great athlete or whether you're just, you know, an average Joe Q public. And what this guy went through, and you got to remember, it's back in the day where, you know, if something happened to you, like what happened to him with the hunting accident, there's there's no hey, you got to go see a psychiatrist for years and years and you got to handle this thing because, I mean, the scene, I read about the scene that happened. I mean, he just, you know, they found him just devastated. He had disappeared into the forest. Uh, a search party found him curled up by a tree covered in blood. I mean, this is uh, somebody that just went through all of this stuff. And then three years later, it's the miracle on ice. But then right after that, no NHL teams wanted him. Keep in mind, this was a guy that was five foot eight. Uh, he was a short guy. In the meantime, uh, between the Miracle on Ice and, 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 and in 1982, from 80 to 82, he learns to fly a plane. He plays in a band. Then he went to Switzerland to play hockey. Uh, he was basically almost done with hockey, but he's playing in Switzerland at the time. Then who calls him? Herb Brooks, his old coach. With the uh, Miracle on Ice team, he's now with the Rangers. He's become the Rangers co head coach, and he brings him back to the NHL, says, oh, yeah, this guy can play. In his rookie season, Stephen, he scores 76 points, which is still a Rangers rookie record. He's also the only American hockey player who ever scored five goals in an NHL game. Yeah, it is a great story. And you, I mean, you think about how many of those guys really didn't get shots in the NHL. And in, for Mark Pavlich, it, it was delayed, but he did get his shot. And, you know, you were talking about the whole scene and the whole situation with him. I mean, can you imagine, you know, this was back when we didn't have social media. You, you wouldn't hear about things like this much of the time. 
you know, you think about if it happens in today's age, there'd be a lot more coverage. You know, there'd probably be some gruesome video they'd be showing over and over again. It's just really sad, you know, how it not only back then, but just how it ended up for him. You know, another a great guy who who made a great contribution to sports, but you know, all in all, life just dealt him one blow after another, and it's just a shame it had to end this way. So we just talked about a guy that passed away way too early. Let's talk about somebody that is a miracle. He is still moving on and he's still going because you and I haven't talked about this, Stephen, but the golden age of baseball is a podcast that people might want to, if you're a real baseball fan, if you're a true diehard baseball fan, you might want to go listen to this because there's a guy named Eddie Robinson, who is the oldest living major league baseball player, a hundred years old. He was the assistant general manager for the original Astros team, the Colt 45s, for right. the first few years of the franchise. He's the last living member of the 1984 Cleveland Indians World Championship team, which is their last championship. And this dude has a podcast, and it's good. You know, I've, I've caught a couple of episodes, Robert, uh, and, and it is good. I mean, he has some you – know, these guys have great baseball stories. And I know uh, – you know, look, with some people – they may wonder, you know, what does history have to do with now? You know, who cares about history? It was in the past. No, look, history has a lot to do with what's going on now. And and honestly, I am a huge baseball history buff, Robert. I eat it up. I listened to a couple of episodes of his podcast, and he, he tells an intriguing story about encountering Babe Ruth not long before Babe Ruth passed away. I'm not going to give it away. I want you to listen to the podcast, but... Yeah, he's got some great stories, and yeah, he he talks well. His mind is sharp and alert. So I, I mean, I, you got to hand it to a guy like Eddie Robinson, a hundred years old. Yeah, the oldest active former ball player. Give the podcast a listen, and, and I just I, I love delving into baseball history and just learning about these guys. You know that you you hear about growing up, or you hear about them from time to time, but man, the stories just really bring them to life. And I talked to Eddie a, a, a little bit ago and trying to get him on this podcast, and I'm hoping to do that. But, yeah, you mentioned the Babe Ruth story. You know, he tells a story about this was some guy. This is a guy that played baseball with the Indians, and his coaches were Tris Speaker and Honus Wagner. Those guys were ancient when I was growing up, I long, it's been a long time. When you were growing up, Stephen, we're old. These guys were like, <laughs> these guys were, they were like mythic figures. Yeah, they were long in our past, Robert. That's for sure. And we're, we're both getting older, but I mean, they're, they're almost like mythical like figures when you're talking about guys like, you know, Honus Wagner, Tris Speaker, Rogers Hornsby. I mean, most people are like, who are those guys? Well, you know, they were the Babe Ruths and, Hank Aaron's and Willie Mays and, uh, you know, in more present day times, the, the, the Mike Trout's, the Bryce Harvey, you know, the guys that, that we talk about now, these guys were really, really something back in those days. Usually after this is over with you and I just kind of shoot the crap a little bit about what's going on. Um, this is not necessarily sports related, but I, I just got to say that uh, you had told me, check out the show, the Queens Gambit. Yeah. Not not sports chess, but it's a pretty real deal game, and you know you you all, you almost could call it a sport. I mean, there there's uh, definite intrigue. The strategy is incredible. It's mentally draining for those that do it. And I watched the first. There, I think there's seven episodes altogether. I watched the first five. It's good. It's really good. 
Yeah, well, I have to tell you, Robert, I, I am not into chess. In fact, I've probably played checkers maybe twice in my life, so <laughs> I don't get into it. But man, I got it. I, I binge watched that that show, that series, because it was so good. I mean, when when you can hook me in something, I mean, when, I'll be honest. When I first saw it, I'm like, why do I want to watch that? It's about chess. Well, I did, you know, several years ago. I read Bobby Fischer's biography. Of course, Bobby Fischer famous uh, chess player in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, that series, I really got hooked on it, The Queen's Gambit. Of course, there's a book about it as well. So I'd highly encourage you to check it out. It, it's not all about chess. I mean, it, it is obviously the central point, but there's a real plot to that movie. I keep saying movie, to that series that I, I think will really hook you. And like I said, I binge watched the darn thing. I probably watched it in two days. It's almost like a movie. I mean, these TV it shows now. It is almost now, like a movie. Yeah. The, these TV shows are just, a lot of times they're just extended movies. And this is this is a one season one-off thing, I, I believe. Right. It's, it's a limited series. I think what they call Netflix a limited series. And I'm not going to give it away, but I mean, the final scene in the last episode, to me, is about as moving as the whole series itself. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, great music in there too. I'm a big fan of '60s music, and you know, you get the stuff like the Vogues pops up, and I, I think there might have been some Rolling Stones and stuff like that. Well, there's a little bit of everybody in there, yeah. The other thing, I, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, but when I was in high school, when I was going to Strake Jesuit, every day at lunch, I would go hang out in the chess club. Club, I'd play chess. I don't think I was actually officially a member of the chess club. You will not see a picture of me in the yearbook with the chess club. Uh, but uh, it wasn't because I had anything against that. It was just, I, I, I didn't do, you know, the tournament. I, I was just, I just liked going there and playing chess all the time. And the crazy thing is uh, since then I've, I don't even know if I've, I've played like maybe a couple of times, three or four times. I mean, I've barely played since then, but it's a, it's a fun, it's fun. And, you know, one of the things that I love about sports is the strategy and there d doesn't get, it doesn't get any better as far as strategy than, than chess. No, it doesn't. It, in fact, you know, a lot of people say they don't like to watch golf because golf is boring. And listen, I have played golf and, and I got to tell you, golf, you know, they call it a thinking man's game for the very reason. There's a lot of strategy that goes into golf and making the right shots and knowing which club to use. Well, chess is the same way. Chess is a thinking person's game, too. And I, I admire anybody who can think you know, two, three, four moves ahead or maybe more of what's going to happen, which a lot of the great prodigy-like chess players like Bobby Fischer, you know, and, and then in this series, you know, the Queen's Gambit, that's what they do. It, it is just so much into a thought process that, yeah, it, it leaves me sweating just, just thinking about it because I certainly don't think I could do that, Robert. And just for people that are not big chess people, I mean, you do not have to know anything about chess. No, absolutely not. I know the basics. So I sort of, you know, I'm watching the board and I, I know the moves that they're making. I can see it. But one thing is they're showing you bits and pieces from matches. So you really can't, you're really not getting into, oh, what are they doing here? What, you know, you don't have to figure out like, oh, this is what they're trying to do with this game. Or, or you know, a lot of it's just, uh, you know, just sounding as though, Oh yeah, the, what they're doing is 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 high intensity. It's 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 high strategy. It's high drama. But like, do I really know what's going on? Nah, not really. Well, and you think about it, as you pointed out, Robert, this this took place in the '60s, 
you know, this was a time when when women and and sports just didn't mix, especially when you're talking about at, at the time was a man's game, and most of the sports, of course, were, and chess was certainly no different. But it was interesting to see how some of the great male players, you know, embraced her, or or at least, you know, and some of them grudgingly accepted her as being as good as she was. So, you know, there there's that at play to think about, and just the the interaction she had with the male players who, you know, for the most part, that's all they were. They they were mostly male. And one of the things that's really cool about this show, and it really it's kind of amazing, I think, and you see these a lot on Netflix these days and I'm I'm like, yeah, this wouldn't might not have ever happened back in the old days of television. There is nobody in this show that is a familiar face. You're like, "Oh, I know that." Or there nobody's famous in in this show. It's it's just all people that are you know, now they're famous cuz it's become a big deal, but you know, that there's no real stars in here. Like I and I watch I feel like I watch a lot of media and listen to a lot of interviews and you know, I'm I'm very much a fan of pop culture, and and there's nobody that I was like, oh, I know that per. You know, they, they there's they've been in other shows, but no, not not anything major. No, you're right. But having said that, the acting I thought was very good. I mean, don't don't misunderstand. Just because you haven't heard the names doesn't mean it's bad acting. I, I actually thought the the plot was good. The character, the the way they played the characters, I I like the acting in it. So don't let that fool you and keep you from watching it. Okay, so you think we've Hopefully we've convinced a number of people to go uh, binge watch it like you and I have, Robert. Yeah, something to get your mind off of, of uh, the year in Houston sports, I guess. Uh, something to of. end on a positive note with, absolutely. Before we close it out, just a reminder, we'd love your feedback, uh, suggestions, questions, or topics. As always, you know how to message us. You can do it through Twitter, Facebook, email, info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. And, hey, Go do something good for somebody today. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Touchdown!